Well, we do love you uh, moms, and we're thankful for you, and we're thankful for all of the ladies here today. Um, as we uh, celebrate this Mother's Day, we do it to be able to um, just honor um, God in spite of the struggles that we face. Um, that was from uh, Parkview Christian Church, where my brother-in-law preaches. Actually, it was from last year, and uh, so a lot of COVID memories there. Uh, but again, to all of our moms, we say uh, thank you to each one of you. I don't typically preach on Mother's Day. In fact, for the past probably four or five years, I didn't preach on Mother's Day. And part of the reason is because I'm chicken. I'm just being truthful, right? It is a day filled with so much, uh, you know, uh, emotions, highs from, you know, just great day to one of the most difficult days. And so, um, honestly, I've just chosen not to preach over the past several years, but the passage that we're going to look at today is a passage that I think is profound. It doesn't speak specifically to mothers, but the way it speaks to women in general um, is very, very significant. And so that's a part of the reason why I'm preaching today. Now, I begin kind of with a little bit of a confession. So I've been a church leader for years and years, preaching and in leadership. And Okay, so I'll just admit to it. I think I've fallen prey um, to this mindset or this tradition of thinking that basically says that, you know, the role of women in God's kingdom is less than the role of men. So now maybe I'm a, you know, a closet chauvinist. I'm not sure. Um, it, it, it was a part of the teaching that I had in the church that I grew up in. You know, where it was like women were important, but they they were limited in what they were allowed to do in the church. In fact, the Bible college that I went to had a degree. It was a five-year degree, and the requirement of this five-year degree was that the last year of that degree, you were required to preach in chapel. It's okay in a denomination and an organization that only sees men as being preachers, but the year I came was the year in which two different ladies, both of them sharp, both of them smart, did that particular degree. And so the Bible college, which never allowed women to preach or to teach, had a decision to make. What do we do? Because that was a part of the degree. And so they came up with this brilliant idea and said, well, we'll just say they're talking rather than preaching. I mean, even as a freshman in Bible college, I realized the hypocrisy of that. It's like, really? And yet, through the years, I mean, just, again, just being honest with you, you know, there have been moments in which I've thought, you know, is this just kind of tradition? Is this really what the Bible teaches? Is this how God views women, right, as being less than in some areas? Now, I'm guessing that some of you have probably thought the same thing. You've wondered, why, why is it in the church that we have that, you know, women are somewhat limited in their ability to be a part of leadership? Why, why is that the case? Is it because God doesn't value women? Is it because God thinks men are superior to women? Now, some of you haven't thought that, but my guess is some of you have periodically thought that. We've had people who've asked that question even as they've come and checked out the church and, and so the, the question is an important one. How does God view women? Does he see them as being as important as men or not? Well, thankfully, as we are looking at the life of Jesus, we see some of Jesus' actions, some of the things that Jesus does in his life and in his ministry that 
not in an overt way, but in a very clearly subtle way, as far as Luke shares it with us, that Jesus shows us the value of all women in his kingdom. Now, we're in this series entitled Jesus and the Marginalized. And so the purpose of this series is for us to take a look at a segment of the people in the culture in the day that Jesus lived that were seen as being less than. They were marginalized, right? Whether it was the Jewish culture itself or it was the Roman culture. And so we talked about how Jesus sees children, right? And values them. We talked about how Jesus sees those who are poor and values them. How Jesus sees those who have a belief in a different God and values them. We, we see how Jesus believes, uh, values those who are different racially than the Jewish nation. And today we take a look at how Jesus values women. And I'm so thankful for the example of Jesus because the, you know, our, our, our year is about us seeking Christ, about us sitting at the feet of Jesus, because we know this, that the more we get to know Jesus and what he values and what's important to him and what he teaches, the more we get to know Jesus, the more it impacts our lives. And we all come face to face with decisions as we read through the Gospels and specifically this year through the Gospel of Luke. And that is, is you know, are my values and my um, philosophies and my political persuasion and any number of things is that the thing that determines everything I do, or is it Jesus and his teaching and his example? Is that what determines what I do? And so we're coming face to face with this challenge of which template am I going to use in my life? And so today we take a look at how Jesus valued women. And so here's where we're going today. This is the kind of direction we're heading, and it's simply this, the challenge, don't relegate whom Jesus has elevated. I mean, that's what we want to learn today. Don't relegate whom Jesus has elevated. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke, the eighth chapter. Luke chapter 8 is the passage that we're going to look at together today. And it's an important one, but it's kind of one of those subtle passages of Scripture there. And so turn there, Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read it out loud to you. Those of you who are online, I encourage you to open your Bibles, be studying along as well. But let me read this to you, Luke chapter 8, just the first three verses, and here's what Luke writes. He says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, at first glance, as you read a passage like that, it just seems like it's a listing of a bunch of facts and figures, right? Where, who, what's going on there, right? Where, where are they at? Well, what's Jesus doing? He's traveling around from village to village. That's where they're at. What is Jesus doing? He is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's telling other people. That, that was the scope of his mission and his ministry. Most of the time he spent out in the villages telling people about the good news of the kingdom of God. But then the who. He mentions the twelve. So who are the twelve? Well, they're the apostles, the ones Jesus handpicked. But then he also mentions there some women, and he names those women right there. Now, 
again, at first glance, it's just like Luke's just kind of connecting one part of the passage to another part. But what he's doing is so profound, and the reason it's so profound is because, again, in this series, The Marginalized, one of the groups of people that the Jewish culture marginalized were women. They looked down on, they saw them as being less than, they saw them as not being um, equal to men. And that was a challenging thing. And so here we have Jesus Christ spending time with these women. In fact, one of the best examples of the Jewish view of women, particularly of the men, one day Jesus had an encounter with uh, what we often refer to as the woman at the well. He and his guys were in Samaria. They were traveling through. And so Jesus sends the guy into this village to get some food, and he's by himself, and he has this conversation with this woman. And it's a profound conversation. But at the conclusion of that conversation, the guys kind of cross this woman. They kind of approach Jesus as he's finishing talking to her, and she goes back into the village But as they walk up, here's what John records in John chapter 4. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with the woman. I love this about these guys, but no one asked, what do you want to her or to Jesus? Why are you talking with her? Now, why is this significant? What were they surprised at? Not that he was talking to a Samaritan. We talked about them last week, but that he was talking to a, a woman. Because... Jewish guys didn't talk to women, especially a rabbi like Jesus Christ himself. But they didn't, of course, voice it. Why were you talking to her? It was something that they were surprised at. Another reason it's unusual, this passage that Luke writes for us, is the fact that Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher. And rabbis, I mean, their view of women was pretty clear. Here's what one rabbi said. One should not talk with a woman on the street, nor even with his own wife, and certainly not with someone else's wife because of the gossip of men. I'm not completely certain about his motivation there, but it was clear, you don't talk to a woman. Or another one said, it is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. That's how rabbis viewed women. But here's Luke in this passage having the women present with Jesus, having the women present with the apostles, having them be a part of his ministry, a part of his work, a part of the things that he was doing there. Um, in fact, he calls them key supporters. If you look at the very last couple of verses, or the last sentence there, it says, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. In other words, out of their money, out of their wealth, out of their surplus, they were using that to help support the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. With this inclusion, what happens is this. Jesus opens a door that had never been opened to women before. In a very subtle way, it's like he's saying by his example and by who he allows to be a part of his work and his ministry here, that women are valued. He elevated them. So I wonder at times, why has the church relegated them? So before we answer that, let's dig in a little bit more here. So what do we know about these women? If you look back in this passage there, what are some of the things we we see about these women? Well, one of the things we realize is they had been healed 
What does it say there in that passage? They'd been healed of some evil diseases or um, evil spirits and some diseases. And so we know that Jesus has had a profound impact upon their lives. He has set them free from physical things that they would have never had freedom from. But then he names some of these women. So let's let's look at there again, those names. So who was the first uh, woman's name there that he mentions? If you're listening, what? Mary Magdalene, right? Mary Magdalene. And look at what it says, from whom seven demons had come out. Now we... We don't have that great of an understanding today, at least in, you know, in where we live about this whole thing of demon possession and these evil spirits and stuff. But having seven demons possess you for such a period of time and to be set free from them, I mean, you're talking about a changed life. You're talking about someone who you know, has been set free from something. You're talking about someone who would be so forever grateful to Jesus Christ. Think of the testimony of Mary Magdalene. Why else do you think she was traveling around with Jesus? Because of her deep love for what he'd done and because she wanted people to know what this guy can do in your life. Now, Scripture doesn't record this, but if you look at church tradition and kind of church teaching, one of the things you learn is that Mary was still a part of the work, even maybe in some regard to leadership. And you can understand why that would be. Then what's the next person he mentions there? What's her name there? Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. And so he named, Luke named someone who was in a pretty prominent position. And this would have been someone, Mary may have been someone on this end of the you know, financial spectrum. Here's this lady on the other end, and we don't know what she was healed from, but she was healed from something. But she was spending her time traveling with Jesus Christ. And then they mention, he mentions Susanna. Only thing we know about her is her name, and that she somehow had been healed from something. And then he says other women. I mean, it's so significant that these women are named there and what they do. And it, it reveals a couple things. One, it reveals their importance, but Jesus puts them side by side with the apostles. The apostles were the ones who were handpicked by Jesus to be the ones to carry on his ministry and his message, Right? But here is Luke putting them side by side. He names the, or he says the twelve, and he says in some women. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke, one of the things you begin to notice is Luke does that a lot. He parallels a work in the life of a man, and then immediately in the life of a woman. For example, you go back to the birth of Jesus. Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, had an angel appeared to him and was told this amazing thing would happen. Mary has an angel appear to her and tell an amazing thing that's going to happen. You go on, um, the widow of Zarephath and Naaman. Jesus is talking about people of great faith. And he names the widow of Zarephath that the prophet in the Old Testament went to. Not somebody in Israel, but somebody outside of Israel. And then he also names Naaman, another person of great faith who put his trust in God, who was also an outsider. But there's a man and there's a woman put in parallel. You've got the centurion that Elliot talked to us about a couple of weeks ago. How God had brought back to life his servant. And then immediately after that, you've got a widow whose son has died. And Jesus brings that widow back to life. And then you go into the accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus. The women were present. 
We don't even know how many of the other guys were there, but the women were present. The women were present and witnessed the burial of Jesus. And then, who were the first ones to see the empty tomb and to have Jesus speak to them and appear to them in his resurrection? It was the women. Women who Jesus elevates and Jesus values. And Luke does a very clear job of pointing that out again and again and again. And one of the struggles... And one of the things that we have to encounter as we deal with this particular topic is the teaching of Paul. So most people would say Paul was uh, a misogynist. He was a bigot against women. You know, there are a couple of passages of Scripture that Paul has, uh, one in Timothy, one in Corinthians, that he, he basically seems to say, women, you just need to be quiet except when you begin to dig into the cultural aspects of what's going on in that day. I mean, it's a very specific passage. There are very specific passages dealing with very specific issues. And we know and understand that at times you have to recognize the culture when you begin to interpret. Like, for instance, one of the teachings of Scripture is you need to greet one another with a holy kiss. Obviously, he didn't write that during the midst of COVID, right? But we don't greet one another with a holy kiss, what we do is we recognize the need to greet one another. In other words, to recognize and to acknowledge other people in, in, around us. And so you, you look at some of those passages that are very specific to cultural things, and then you offset it with some other things that Paul said and taught. So one of the things Paul did a lot was, um, at the end of many of his letters, he would say, express his gratitude to a multitude of people. He would thank them. And he does that at the end of Romans chapter 16. But what's interesting is how many women he includes, not just to say thank you, but to point out their value to him and his work and his ministry. So like, for instance, here's Romans 16 verses 1 through 3. So he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Centuria, I ask you to receive her in, a, in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So here's Phoebe, named as a deacon, a prominent role um, in the church, all the way back to Acts chapter 6. But look what Paul says. He says, she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. He sees her as, as crucial. Then he goes on and names uh, this woman Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. So if you go to the book of Acts, you learn that Priscilla and Aquila, who were a husband and wife, helped a guy by the name of Apollos learn the way of God more adequately. She's named right alongside her husband. But look, he says they are my co-workers in Jesus Christ. Then you move on in this particular passage. You go to verse um, 6. Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. There's another woman there. Greet Andronicus and Junia. Now, Junia is a woman as well. My fellow Jews who've been in prison with me, they're outstanding among the apostles and were in Christ before I was. Naming this particular woman. Then you go to verse um, 12. I don't know how to pronounce these ladies' names there. Maybe you can help me out there. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Maybe they were twins, I'm not sure. But notice what he says, these women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my friend Perseus, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. I mean, what you see Paul doing is to saying these, 
it's like Paul is following the example that Jesus set. To, to value women, to say they're so significant and they're so very important. And the question we've got to ask ourselves as a church, are we relegating what Jesus has elevated? I mean, I think this is such a significant and profound topic for us to consider. A part of the reason is because of our culture today. You know, I mean, I recognize this is an uncomfortable topic for some of us. Last week was kind of an uncomfortable topic. It's just like, what are we supposed to do with this? You know, here we have our culture and what they're saying, and there's these words that you hear, and it just like stirs stuff up within us, and it, it worries us sometimes. You know, words like feminism or complementarism or the patriarchy or equality or gender rights. And so there's something that happens to some of us, at least, that we get this worry and fear that if, you know, we, we recognize maybe there's some things in that that we need to pay attention to, but the worry is that if I begin to step like this way towards some of those things, it's like this slippery slope that I can't ever recover from, and I'm just going to slide all the way down to oblivion. And it's this great fear, right, that it's like if we even begin thinking that maybe we've depended too much upon tradition as opposed to biblical teaching in this realm, there's, there's this fear that wells up within each one of us. And the question for us is this, do we allow our fears to override the truth and teaching of God's Word? I mean, can we even have this discussion? Because in some places, you can't even have a discussion like this without creating all kinds of issues. I guess I'll see when the sermon's over with if I did that or not. But it's, it's this whole thing. Will we devalue what Jesus values? Will we demote what Jesus promotes? You know, will we relegate what Jesus elevates? So what I want to do on this Mother's Day is to challenge a couple of specific groups of people and then talk about us all together here, all right? So I'm going to talk to the men for a moment. So guys, um, it is... Something that we, we have to wrestle with, right? Um, I think for many of us, it is time to put our away and to even repent of our superiority and to choose to value the women that God has placed in our lives. And that's a part of our role and responsibility. To be able to ensure that those that God has given to us that are part of our lives, that are within our sphere of influence, that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt how much we value them and how important they are to us. Whether it's our wife, whether it's our girls, whether it's others in our extended family. And I know sometimes that's really hard because it's like, well, you know, I mean, I've got to be the man of the house. I mean, one of the most Important qualities that we can have is that we value others above ourselves. And I think that comes from Scripture, doesn't it? Philippians chapter 2, what does Paul say here? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Say that with me. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so, guys, we need to wrestle with how, how is it that we're treating 
our wives or our girls or the important people, our mothers and grandmothers, the important women in our life? Are we helping to re- them to recognize that their value is beyond just what they look like, their appearance? Do we pray for them? Do we help them know and understand how much God loves and God values them? Do we speak well of them? Do we lift them up? Do we encourage them with the words that we say? Do we stand up for them in the face of others who don't? Whether it's personally or even culturally? Guys, don't relegate what Jesus has elevated. Let me talk to the ladies for a moment here. Don't, don't relegate what Jesus has elevated. And you know who Jesus has elevated? You. Every single woman in this place. By His example and by His words, He values you. Don't allow your worth and your dignity and your value to be determined by culture or by church tradition, but by God. Let Jesus be the one to really speak into your life. So I want you to take a moment and listen to a word of encouragement by Brandy, our children's minister. Society has told us that women, you need to find your tribe. You need to find your people that are going to support you and give you hope and, and help ground you and help you out when you need it. And I'm not downing that. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing. But what I am saying is that sometimes because of that or we're seeking other things instead of where we should be seeking, we tend to put Jesus up on a shelf where that's not where he wants to be. We, we, we want to take him down when it's convenient. We want to take him out, down when we feel like we need him. And that's just not how it's meant to be. Jesus wants to walk alongside us, just like those women did with him whenever he was alive and walking around with his disciples and traveling. Jesus wants to walk alongside you. You need him to walk alongside you in life. He is the one. You're seeking the peace and the hope from these relationships. He is the one that's going to give you that peace. He is the one that's going to give you that hope. And God is the one that relationship truly comes from. And I'm not saying that having other relationships and having your tribe aren't good things, but more importantly than your tribe is Jesus and walking alongside him through your life, the hard struggles that you face. And I'm sure as moms, you face a lot of hard struggles But what's going to make those struggles easier is Jesus because he is going to walk alongside you and going to carry you when you need him to. You need him to help you fight these fights that you're fighting. You need him to walk alongside you. So don't do yourself or Jesus the disservice of putting him on the shelf. Take him off the shelf and don't put him back up. Have him walk alongside you in your life. I just want to encourage you as ladies to, to allow Jesus and God to be the one to speak into the great value of your life. That's just such an important thing. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians. He says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor, there's, uh, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We all have great value and worth in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't relegate, ladies, what God, what Jesus has elevated. And then to us as a church, I think it's so important that we wrestle with this question, you know, 
Are the things that we're doing tradition or the things that we're doing biblical teaching? And there's nothing wrong with having tradition, okay? As long as that tradition does not supersede what is the teaching that comes from the Word of God. I mean, I, thankfully, I think our church through the years has taken some good steps. I mean, you know, we have Brandy who teaches for us. Um, we've had other ladies who've taught or preached for us, whether by video or on the stage. Um, I'm thankful that our elders have been willing at times to take some stands and wrestle with this. We had an instance uh, several years ago, probably almost 10 years ago, um, one of our ladies attended a women's event at our church camp, and we're still a part of that church camp, but she came back and she was extremely upset because of some of the things that this lady had taught about the role and responsibility of women. For example, one of the things she taught was that girls should stay at home and not ever go to college and get an education. She taught that. She taught that a woman should be completely, a wife should be completely submissive to her husband no matter what, out of duty, not out of love. And several other things that were very harsh and very legalistic. And she was so upset. And so, you know, we talked about it as elders. And I made sure, you know, I spoke specifically to this woman, to her and her husband, asking, okay, this is what we heard you taught. Is that true? And she was like, yeah, that's what we taught. And she was like, I think you should learn some of those things. Anyway, we won't go there. But it was like, so we talked about this as elders. And it was like, you know what? This, this does not work for us. This kind of unbiblical teaching is not a part of what we want to be. And so, you know, we put together a letter. We sent it to the camp board. And thankfully, they, they recognized that this is not what they stand for either. And it's a great camp, and we're still a part of it. But I'm so thankful for elders who are willing to say, you know what, that's not what God's Word teaches. But it's a challenging wrestling match as a church to say, is this tradition? Is this really what God's Word teaches? Because we don't bow to culture, right? But we don't bow to tradition either. What we do is we bow to the truth and the teaching of word of, the Word of God and should always be willing to ask the question, is this tradition? Is this culture? Or is this what God's Word really teaches? Do not relegate what Jesus has elevated. So here's what I want to encourage you to do in your own life. And is to wrestle with the question, do I devalue what Jesus values? Do I relegate what Jesus elevates? Whether you're a, a guy, whether you're a woman, whether it's us as a church, I, I, I'd encourage you over this next week to reflect on your own choices and your own decisions and how you treat others and just ask that question. Imagine if we do that as a church. Imagine if we began to value what God values. Man, imagine if we were to value the women in our lives. To encourage them and to speak life into them and to love them and to teach them their value, whether it's our wives or our daughters. I mean, imagine the impact on the kingdom and on our families if that would happen. Women, imagine the impact that it would have in your life if you continue to remind yourself of how valuable and precious you are in God's sight, how valuable you are to Him and His kingdom and His work 
and his ministry and that you followed the gifts that God had given you to serve him. Imagine the witness and the testimony of this church. If we were known as a place for valuing and supporting everyone and loving everyone, this was a place in which women could find meaning and significance and worth in the sight of God. Imagine the impact it could have if we value what God values.